Welcome to the True Voice Podcast with your host, LaShawn Smith. Hey, welcome to True Voice, where we learn more about today through stories from amazing people. This is season two. I'm your host, LaShawn Smith. And here on True Voice, we talk with people who have remarkable stories that entertain, teach, and offer a human perspective on how today's most pressing topics remain deeply connected to our past. I hope you enjoy today's episode and look forward to you joining us each week. Today, I'm joined by Angela Toya Williams. Angela, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, we're going to get into some of the great work that you're doing to really address some of the uh, issues around gun violence in your community. You've been celebrated for the work you've done there, but want to hear more about your personal story as we get started. So I know you were born and raised in West Palm Beach, and uh, you're the youngest, I believe, of eight. And uh, that's a large family already. And then I think your father has an even larger family of 30 children. Let's go back, um, you know, you being raised with your mother, which, uh, you know, you said, is, you know, she had a wonderful childhood and upbringing for you. Tell me more about your childhood. By me being the youngest age, so it was, I was a baby of the family. So I, um, I grew up with my oldest sisters, but I played with my younger brothers that's close to me. So I, as a child, I was more of a tomboy because I played with boys all the time. And I can remember the time when we played what kids don't do now. But we used to play in the streets, mm. a ball and, you know, and kickball and football and all kind of sports. And we, uh, we uh, of course, we played Jackstones as well. And it was just the childhood was just so different than what the childhood is now today. Everybody will fight and we'll play again. It's just what we grew up like, you know, and your mama and my mama and everybody know each other. And and you do something wrong, they're going to tell that mother and that mother was able to chastise you the way your mother chastised you. Things were just so different back then. It was just so much love. It was neighborhood. It was yeah, a real true neighborhood. Yeah. Yep. And, and even on the people on the next street, they'll come over and play with us as well. So it, my childhood was just so awesome. I wish I could have been a kid again. I wish my <laughs> kids was was able to grow up in the way we grew up, grew up you know? Because yeah. things were so, it was just so different. And if you didn't hear about gun violence, and if you heard about it, maybe once a year, twice a year, yeah. you'll hear something in passing. But as kids, we wasn't allowed to sit in there while your mama had a company. You weren't allowed to sit there with them. You had to go out of, go out of there because those grown folks talk. All right, you, you know? have some respect. Yes, we had, yes, we had plenty of respect. And, uh, and we should take that our elders as well. Yeah, give, give me one story before we uh, move on, but uh, give me one story from your childhood that, you know, you, you look on fondly. Oh, gosh. Oh, Lord. let me think. One thing I can say, I, I never got a spanking or a whooping from my hmm, mother. Okay. Never as a child. I, you know, I, <laughs> because I really wasn't a bad child. You know, I never right, right. Really got in trouble. So I, everything pretty much in my childhood was positive. Yeah. You know, because I never got in trouble like that and even skipping school or anything. So I just, I had a wonderful childhood. I grew up with a loving family. You know, it's just, just a community of, of love. And in, my, in our household, it was a community with love. Everyone in the household was loved by my mom. She's a single mom. So I was a baby. So I got a little special treatment in some of the other. There you go. <laughs> I didn't have to one. do. 
I didn't have to clean up and do all that stuff because I had older brothers and sisters. <laughs> so that that made a that made a difference for me. I can always go out inside and play. They don't have to worry about anything, any chores in the house because I was right, the baby. Right. They say I got away with everything, but I don't think. So. Now, as the baby who got away with everything, or maybe <laughs> you don't agree with. So once you you graduate high school, you uh, you start community college. And then you get uh, you have your first child pretty early on. Tell me how that you know kind of uh, had you rethink how you, you you looked at your priorities, right? You got real responsibilities now. Right, I got pregnant with my oldest daughter, and I was going to um, Palm Beach Community College at the time. So now, where's I that at? That's where we reside in Palm Beach County. That's in okay. Palm Beach County, and I, I stopped because I got pregnant with her and to raise her. So I, I raised all of my children as a single mom. Mm-hmm. And they, they did doing good for themselves. And I have, I have um, six grandbabies, boys. Wow, congrats. Yeah, so it, it's, it's wonderful. You know, it's, I, I love it. Now, l- let's talk about your passion, not just for your own children, but as you started connecting and helping other children. Uh, t- tell me about um, kind of how you came about. I think you were working as a school bus driver and you just started to connecting some of these children, some of the folks that other people might find difficult. Like, like how did that happen? Well, I always, I always loved the children anyway, but I ended up getting a, dri- a job as a bus driver in Palm Beach County. And I never wanted a route where I drive the same kids every day. And that for that reason is because I like different personalities. I don't care whether they're good or bad. I just like different personalities. So that's why I chose that route to drive different kids. And too many people don't like to get those kind of routes because they rather drive the same kids every day. But I don't. These are high school kids or junior high? I I drove middle, elementary, middle, and high. Okay. School. But I just love them. I just love love kids. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when kids sometimes are walking with themselves or on a school bus. I mean, you as an adult are there, but but they're kind of acting like, you know, no one is there. So you get like this unique perspective on how kids are, are acting when they think they're amongst themselves. Uh, like, how did you have to balance like letting them be versus like, did you ever have to be the disciplinarian and like like get folks in order or or not so much? Not so much, because when the kids get on the bus, all they want to do is hear a little bit of music. Mm. So I put I put the radio on the station that they want to hear, and that calmed them right down. I, you know, because they they're singing their songs, and so I didn't really have a problem with the kids on the bus, like mm. some drivers do. I just didn't. That's why you know they say you want to drive kids every different kids. I love it. Just give them the music they want to hear, and you only have them on the bus. You know, maybe twenty minutes at most. So right. it, it was it was nice. I loved it. Yeah. Now, as you were moving through your professional and personal life, uh, your life changed when you lost your nephew. Tell me about how receiving that news changed your family and your own life. Well, I, the telephone rung six o'clock in the morning. And all I did here on the other end of that phone was screaming. And that was my sister um, who's no longer with us. She died from cancer. She's screaming. She said, I said, what's going on? She said, Tori is dead. I said, Tori dead? She said, yes. So I immediately hung up the phone and I went to the hospital and nobody was there. So I left, Tori, Tori only lived like maybe a, two minutes away from me, right up the street mm-hmm. in these apartments. So I left the hospital and I rode down Blue Heron Boulevard. That's in Rivera Beach. As I got closer, I started seeing blue, blue lights flashing. 
and got a little more closer to the apartment, and then I seen yellow tape. Mm. So at that time, the way the apartments were made, they was putting the family members through the back window of the apartment because we couldn't go through the front door because that's where Tory Body was leaning. Mm. He was leaning in the front, you know, in the front by the front door. So they put all the family members through the back window. And why as we wait and wait, it seemed like it took for hours, hours and hours of waiting, and which it did for them to, for the corner to come. Mm-hmm. And by that time, as you know, my sister and everybody was in there, Tory mom and everybody was inside the apartment, Tory apartment waiting for the news. Because, you know, we was pretty much in disbelief, especially my sister. Sure. I was in disbelief. So when the corner arrived, I can remember just as good, the door, the front door opened. And when that front door opened, they had Tory covered with a white sheet. And his leg fell from underneath that sheet. Mm. Tory's leg was like this mangled. He was shot seven times with the AK-47. Oh, my goodness. During that period of time, after the, they took Tory's body away in, we preparing for the funeral, and I still didn't really get it. And then it, it just didn't sink in to me that Tori was really dead because I had just spent some time with him around Christmas time because he got killed. He was the second person to get killed on New Year's Day. So we had just spent Christmas together with my son because he had bought my son a couple of things for Christmas. And when I really got it was when the funeral home car pulled up to the house to pick us up, to pick mm-hmm. the family up. That's where it really sunk in that Tori was dead to me. And after we went through the funeral and, and everybody in the family still trying to process this, my sister was going through, she was devastated. She was just going through so much. Mm-hmm. So I was riding down one of the streets in, in West Palm Beach, which was called 45th Street, which is still 45th Street. And I was just praying and nice and God to give me something to help me with my sister. Cause she was so devastated. And that's when I, it just came to me, start an organization. And I said, well, if I start an organization, I'm talking to myself. If I start this organization, what I'm going to call it. But I knew I wanted to have something to do with the word mama. So that's how I came up with Mothers Against Murders Association. And I told, I mean, I came home and I said, my mom, I want to start an organization and help my sister. But I wanted to have something to do with the, with the word mama. And she said, you always think of something to do. Mm-hmm. If nobody, you know, you just always, your mind is always, I said, yeah, this is what I want to do. I don't know how, how I'm going to do this. I'm just going to step out on faith. And that's what I did. I stepped out on faith. I didn't know how I was going to get the 501c3. Nobody was telling me how to do anything. I asked questions, could get no answers. You know, a lot of times people don't want to tell you how to do this and do that. So I said, I'm going to figure this out myself. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure out how to get the 501c3. Didn't have any money. So I asked my mom to help me get this 501c3, my sister. So I did that. I went on and did that. But in the meantime, while I was waiting on my 501c3, I had to start the organization. Hmm. And I used to get these calls. I used to get these calls from my, my nephew, which is Tori's mom. She had two kids. She had Tori and Johnny. And he used to always call me and tell me, come, come. My mom is going through something. She's at my house. She's she walking up and down the sidewalk of my apartment and she's screaming Tori's name. Mm. So I, I go over there and rescue my sister and get her back home where she needed to be. Very next day, the same thing. It just kept repeating itself, repeating itself. She would be over in the shopping uh, parking lot and like when Dixon shopping lot, parking lot, and she's in the car with the windows up. She was just going through so much and she was screaming Tori's name. 
So once I got the organization start going and I brought her in, it started to be healing for her. I had no idea that so many more mothers going to come. I knew I wanted to do this, but I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And I finally found me a place to call. I worked at my office from home first, and then I moved into office space. Mm-hmm. And then um, they know how I was going to pay rent. They know I was going to do anything. I just stepped out on faith and say, whatever happens, happens. I got to do this. Right. So as I began, mothers started to join, and, and I started the circle of healing for them. So the mothers come like twice a month. The first and third Thursday one at 6.30. And we have a circle of healing for them. And they're able to talk about anything they want to talk about. And they go through three stages in this organization, which is victim, survivor, and the advocate stage. Mm-hmm. And when they get to the advocate stage, they're able to go out and help other mothers. And they're able to go out and speak. And they're not realizing when they're able to go out and speak, it's healing for them as well. So a lot of yeah. these mothers, like my sister and other mothers came in, they couldn't even speak. And now they're advocates for the organization. Right. They had, you know, they, it's, healing takes a long time. Some of them, they can uh, heal faster than others. And then I teach them about, in this healing circle, I teach them about forgiveness. Because once they, the ones that can forgive, I don't mm-hmm. push them. I don't push them. But the ones that can forgive, it helps them heal faster. Because okay. all that they're going through is lifted off their shoulders. They're carrying that weight. Yeah, they carry a lot of weight on their shoulders. Even with that, losing Tori, I lost 20 other family members. So I lost a total of 21 family members here in Palm Beach County. Mm. And it helps me to help them. You know, right. it really do. It helps me to help them. Now, you've created this organization that, you know, gets people together. You guys have your prayer circle. You give people this framework on how to deal with, with this. And effectively, you've taken you know, the experience where other mothers have had, you know, have received that phone call, just like the one you did for Tori. When you think about this, and, and I, I believe you've helped over 400 families at this point. So that's that's remarkable. When folks understand this is an option to help out, you know, h- how do you get connected to them? How do they even know that this is a resource? Okay. Well, now we've been out here for um, 17 years and January will be 18 years. Okay. So people know, people know the organization. Mm-hmm. When something happened in the community, somebody get shot or killed, I get that phone call. It might be the family or friends or people in the neighborhood just call me and say, we just had a shooting over here on 26th Street. Mm-hmm. Can you come? Or that's from the family or from anybody that's out there at the crime scene. Even now, we connect with the law enforcement, too. So they know that, that what we do. So we kind of like partnership with them as well. So I get that phone call. Sometimes I get phone calls 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. It just all depends. Mm. And so once I get there to the crime scene, find somebody that's connected to the family and give them my business card. Mm-hmm. And say, contact me whenever you're ready. Got it. You know, I don't force anybody to join this organization because it's hard. And people are on it's, their own timeline. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a club nobody wants to join. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> I don't force anybody to join it, but they eventually come around. Because once you have the funeral and months pass by, everybody disappear. Mm. You don't see those people anymore that was there for your support at mm-hmm. that funeral. Because they have their own lives too. And sometimes yeah. people don't have, people can't deal with grief. 
you know, they don't want to see their brother, sister, or friend sitting there crying all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes people, dis- you know, they disappear for, for their own personal reason. Hmm. Now, as you were talking about kind of your framework, you know, people go through these, these steps, these stages, victim, survival, advocate. When they're in that survival stage, like, what are they talking about? Like, what's the thing that starts to unlock it for them? What type of conversations are you helping facilitate? That's when, when they get ready, they start talking about these loved ones. Sometimes they'll say, uh, they'll talk positive stuff. It's just all people on what they're going through that particular day. Sometimes they just sit there and cry. They'll cry so much words won't come out of their mouth. Some of them will say, uh, I miss my baby so much. I wish, I wish she was here. Uh, they'll say, Johnny's birthday tomorrow. What am I supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's really hard for them because the holidays, especially now, because the holidays are coming up. And that person won't be sitting at that dining table anymore. You know, mm-hmm. so that's very, very difficult for those uh, families when they lose their loved one and they're not there. Even with the kids, they don't lost their dad, you know. And when those children lose their dad, they don't know how to cope with that. Mm-hmm. They go out and go to school. They fight. They do all kind of stuff. They lashing out because they don't have the tools to be able they, to absolutely. communicate what they're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very it's very tough. It's very tough. But I have seen so many mothers come through my organization. Well, I say our organization because it's like a family organization. Come through there and came a long way from when they first came in. Mm. They have yeah they have progressed so much. And through this organization. So um, it's been kind of hard during this COVID, but um, we still, you know, we Zoom, talk to them on the phone. A lot of my time is on the phone with them. Mm-hmm. I have mothers that don't even sleep. I talk to them till they fall asleep. Mm. I have mothers that have lost two kids, three kids, you know, mm. to gun violence. So it's, it's really, really hard. Some of them are suicidal. Mm-hmm. So, some of them start drinking. They never drunk a, had a drink before in their life. They started using drugs because they've been they they life have completely changed. Right. And if you have a lot of people don't understand, if you haven't walked those shoes, you wouldn't know how they feel. Mm-hmm. But we have some people out here very compassionate for it. They can feel it, you know. They can, you know, they they they, they stricken they they grief. They say, "I'm sorry for your loss." We have some people, really some sincere people out here that really cares. But we have some people out here just just don't understand. And I understand yeah. why they don't understand. You know, I do mm-hmm. understand why they don't understand. Because I don't know as a, I'm an aunt. I'm not a mother who lost a child. Mm-hmm. So I can't feel the pain that my sister is feeling. I can only feel the pain that my, as an aunt, how I feel, you know, as an aunt. And I can't feel the pain that those other mothers who sitting in the office in the circle of healing I can't feel their pain, but I can see their grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I see what they're going through. So it's a lot of tears in that circle of healing. It's a lot of love because we made ourselves one big family. And there's a lot of hugs in that, in that mm. circle of healing. Celebrate the, the hugs. Now, yes. t- to your point, you know, when you're just going through your day and then you get a phone call like this, you know, somebody, I mean, it's just unexpected, right? Um, so, you know, if, if you have a loved one who is sick, there's all sorts of grief you have to deal with there. Um, and uh, I, I would just assume, though, that it's kind of different with gun violence because, you know, it's instant and it's kind of like you were robbed. Like, like, I mean, is that true? How do you think uh, for the, the women that you've worked with, 
how, how do they look at, at this type of, of grief differently than other struggles that we have to deal with in life? You're absolutely right. To lose a loved one to sickness, you know, you don't want to see them suffer, you know, from any disease, you don't want to see them suffer. So when God take them, you like almost like, I'm saddened by they've been taken, but I'm relieved too, because they're not suffering anymore. But when somebody just shoot your loved one for whatever reason, it just take a toll on you because right. you know that didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, ha- I have attended 453 funerals. Oh my goodness. And the grief is, is just the same. They don't sit there and see every mother at those funerals devastated. I have mothers, it's just so hard. I have mothers have fell off the pew onto the floor, screaming their child's name. Wow. And, you know, and the family have to try to lift that mother up and put her back in the, in the chair so they can sit down. I have had mothers at a, at a funeral run out the funeral and can't come back in because they mm. see their child laying in that coffin. Yep. That's a hard thing to see a mother child laying in a coffin. You don't carry this child for so many months and somebody just take their life for, no, for some crazy reason. Because most of the stuff is petty. These mm-hmm. people, you know, these children losing their life on, over. Most of it is petty. Mm. So just to see somebody that's still, you know, you stole my baby's life. Yeah. Now, in certain cases, I would never be able to have any grandkids because he's gone. You mm-hmm. know? So I don't have anybody remind me of what my child looked like. That's hmm. in a lot of cases we have here. I have got a call to go to a crime scene. And I get to the crime scene, and it's my nephew laying on the ground. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Miss Angie, can you come down here on Safadilla in West Palm Beach? I said, I'll be right there. My brother and I went down there. They come down, get down there. I see all my family standing around. It was my nephew. Mm. So, so I never know what to expect from day to day. I just have to be ready. You know, wow. I just have to be ready. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you have to have community because that level of, of grief of grief can really have detrimental effects on that mother's life. You know, just yep. her health. That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. Why do you think, uh, I mean, you know your community, Riviera Beach. Why is gun violence uh, such a problem there? Oh, gosh. I think it stems back from things that happened years ago. With my brother, not my brother personally, but people in the community, the young men that had fights, now they done got grown, and they still pass down to the siblings. You know, I think a lot and a lot with that. And then you also, you have your drugs problem. You're going to, you know, you have your drug problem. And the economy, don't, we don't have any money. Nobody's working now. So the economy been like this for a while. So it's just, it's just so many things. And a lot of the things are petty. Mm. It's petty. I went to the club. Somebody went to the club. They step on that person's toe. They go outside and shoot each other. Mm. It's a lot of petty, petty stuff. They kill each other over. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's just nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I know sometimes it, in their heads, if they don't have hope, it, it you know, you get to a point where you feel like maybe there's nothing to lose and or you're you're walking around with so much anxiety and frustration that you don't have the toolkit to to deal with those emotions and then yeah, this stuff starts spilling out in a way that becomes violent. 
That is so true. That is true. Yeah. There's so much less love, so much hate and less love now. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see people hugging each other like they used to hug each other. Like they don't doubt that what they call it. I guess the young people call it or whatever. You don't see them doing that stuff anymore. Uh, doing sports, recreational sports. And when they do it at high schools, they've got, you've got games and you got all oh, like, oh, so many things. There's so many things, but I have seen so many young people lose their life. Hmm. You know, 15, 16, you know, 27, 20, they haven't even had, they haven't had a chance to live yet. Right. You know, and it's, that's what's so hard for these mothers. They, they say, I can't imagine what my baby would be like now if he was grown. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's, so it's just so hard for them. I just, just, you just see their face and the tears. It's just so devastating for them. But that's why I have to, it's so important for me and my family, because they, they don't took this role as, as I have, my brother has, to see that we keep our doors open for these people to have a place to come. Mm-hmm. And the hard part about me with this organization, I can't get people to come in and help. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, even financial, I can't get people to help. Well, now, why, why do you think that is? Because uh, before you answer, there's all sorts of things that we collectively should be doing to to support people so they don't get to a state where they want to turn to violence in the first place. Um, but when we can't stop that, organizations like yours, it's helping deal with that ripple effect, right? It's not just that person who's gone. It's, it's you know, all these family members. So, so why do you think it's so challenging to find people who really want to support with their time or their money? Well, in the black community, it's hard to get, in, get money out of black. I mean, even just $5. If everybody gave you $1, mm-hmm. I can make it. Because my bills run me $3,000 a month. So if mm-hmm. everybody gave me one dollar, you know, I could I have plenty, but it's hard to get that one dollar. I don't know if it's as just I want to donate to a black organization. I just don't know. But I do have some groups like Moms of Man Action and my friends of family, Steve West and Mr. Dan Calloway. Those are my key people that help us try to keep this organization going. But it takes mm-hmm. a lot. You know, they can only do so much, you know, and uh, yeah. it takes a lot because we know, like I say, our bills are help. I can't, I can't get the community help, and it's sad mm. I can't get the pastors to help. You well, know? we gotta, we gotta put them on front street so they uh, get out there and uh, you know, I can't, I can't get them, I can't get them to help. Mm. They know about mothers against murders. They know about, they know about struggle. Mm-hmm. Everybody know I fight every month to keep these doors open. My family, even my sister and my brother, they contribute money to try to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. But it's just a struggle for me. That's the only struggle I have. Right. I have trust in the community. I have law enforcement behind me. I partner with other organizations that's you know out there doing what they do best. But I just can't get the pastors involved like they should. I have a few, not many. I could count them on one hand, or maybe two or three fingers, <laughs> to be honest with yeah. you. I can't get them to... I don't know if it, people that just don't want to get away from violence or a murder. They don't want to deal with death. I don't know what it is. Is they scared of it? I don't know. But the one thing I can say, it's very important for them to get involved because you never know when that death angel is going to hit next. It might be knocking on your door next, you know? Mm-hmm. And you might need help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why I try to get people get involved. But, you know, we do... We only have the mothers. We have the children. 
when we we do give them resources, especially torch time, we do a huge torch drive for these kids. You know, the kids uh, their parents either locked up in prison, or low income families, or their parents are deceased. We provide toys for them. We make sure they have a good toy drive. You know, good toys. Wake up in the morning, they have mm-hmm. toys there. And we do Thanksgiving. You know, we feed the community. And we do, and like I said, I attend the funerals. If we have to give them clothes, we do that. We just do whatever it takes in this organization to help the families. But we, we give more than we can get it coming in for that way. Yeah. I yeah, don't no, even it's get great. A, I don't even get a salary for what I do. And I've been doing it 17 years. Wow. I don't that's get a salary. And that's why I say it's just so hard. It's, it's, it's getting really, really hard for me to keep it. I'm going to keep the organization going, but it's really hard for me to keep the doors open because I can't get any support. Yeah. You know, that's the hardest part. Yeah. And plus now with myself, you know, I went through breast cancer and mm. then I went through heart disease, but mm-hmm. I didn't give up. You know, I didn't give up. And I have to, if I give up, then I feel like those mothers will give up. Right. Because they, you know, they have me. They know I'm the, I'm there for them. And that's why yeah, I mean, you're a fighter. I mean, I, I, I find this in different people that I talk to where you find these amazing people helping out their community. They're also fighting for themselves. Right. So, you know, I think your, your breast cancer was diagnosed in 2015. You have heart surgery at the beginning of, of this year, 2020. And in spite of all of that, you're still out here fighting. I have to, you know, I, I can't stop. And, you know, I, I, I get that. I try to get as much rest as I could, but I get that phone call. I have to go. Yes, please do. <laughs> mm. I have to go. I just have to be there. You know, back when I get to crime scenes, they say, oh, they go mothers get murders over there. She's here. So they know they have a support system. You know, whenever they're right. ready to come in, our doors are open for them. So they know mothers yeah. get murders going to be there for them. And that's what those mothers need because they're so devastated. Yeah, like I, I said earlier, I mean, they are so, even the fathers too, not only mothers. We I just named it because uh, uh, mothers carry their children for nine months. That's why I want to do Mothers Gets Murders. But we embrace fathers too. They they are part of this. Mm-hmm. But they, they probably be more macho, so they don't, you know, they, they don't come in as fast as the mothers do. But I have had some men come in and cry. Yeah. Cry to me and ask me what should they do as well. Yeah. No, that's, you know? that's great. So well, um, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. What? Um, g- give me one story before we start wrapping up of one of the folks that you have helped who have become advocates for the organization. You know, someone who's gone through their own stages, and you've kind of see them in- evolve to potentially help others deal with their grief. Paula Bo. Okay. Paula Bo came into Mama. She didn't come into Mother's Gets Murders right away. She came in months later after her daughter was shot in. Her daughter was shot in the neck, and I think in the back of the head. Mm. And then, um, as he, she was, a, he was, a, she was in the, her daughter was in a domestic violence situation. And when he shot in the head, he blew up the brains out. Hmm. Paula have came a long way. She loved to come to the circular healing meetings. She had came a long way. Now she's a, she's no longer a victim. Mm-hmm. She's no longer a survivor. She's an advocate. So when we go to the detention centers. Uh, correction centers for youth. She able to speak to those youth because a lot of them in there, they have lost loved ones, survivors, those kids. So we go there to try to change their mindset as well. And Paula delivered her message. And people, when she talk and speak, they listen. 
it helps her so much because as she's speaking, she's healing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's healing. So she's one of she's one of my strongest mothers, including my sister and, and some other mothers. But they have they are amazing women, a group of amazing women that have took on turned their pain into power. And I just love them. And we yeah. just go and do what we have to do to keep this organization going and be ready for the next mother that comes in. I hear that. Well, um, as we wrap up, tell me what advice would you give to people in other communities, you know, other cities, other states, other countries that, you know, have to deal with this? Uh, you know, what, what advice would you give them as they try to get through this type of experience? Don't try to do it alone because it's, it's impossible. It's very hard to try to deal with grief by yourself. Find you some help. Try to find your support group. Somebody that can, a grief counselor. Find somebody that can help you get through this because it can kill you. You know, grief can kill you. So just just find you someone that can help you or find a friend or somebody you can talk to. Anybody that can help you with positive stuff that can help you with the grief. That's great. Well, Angela, it's great to see the amazing work you're doing. I mean, this is the type of work that we have to celebrate, even though it's under such di- you know dire circumstances, right? Like we don't we don't we don't want those numbers to go up, but it's amazing that there's someone out there like you. So, thank you again for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Absolutely. If someone wanted to support Mama, is there a website or an address? Like, how can they they find out about your organization if they did want to support? Okay, they can go to my website. It's mamawpb.org. All right. So it's Mama WPB, uh, West Palm Beach, I'm guessing that uh-huh. is, uh-huh. Uh, .org. Uh, yes. And they can get more information. Yes, yeah, so they can call me on call me 561 324-3701. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone listening and joining us today. This is a great conversation with Angela, hearing all the fantastic work she's doing to help her family and her community heal. I love that phrase, turn pain into power. Uh, that's like a t-shirt. Like that's, uh, that's excellent. And for everyone uh, listening, hope you enjoyed your time. As we always say, please leave a great review wherever you listen to our show. I'm LaShawn. Thanks again. And remember, dream big, stay curious, and always share your true voice. See you next time. This is True Voice.